right, all right. I am back. This is Cheryl. I am an experienced CVICU nurse. I am just going to go over the intraaortic balloon pump or IABP or balloon pump as we may call it. So the intraaortic balloon pump was developed and first used in the clinical setting in the 1960s. Dr. Adrian Cantrell Witz is credited with the development and first clinical use of the device. He implanted the first balloon pump in a human patient at Mayamines, I think that's how you say it, Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York in 1967. This marked a significant milestone in the field of cardiovascular medicine. And since then, the balloon pump has become an invaluable tool for the management of patients with severe cardiac conditions. Several medical, um, there are primarily two medical companies that manufacture the intraortic balloon pump. Um, the first one is Maquette, which is a part of the Getinge Group. It's a Swedish company. Their most popular module is the um, CardioSave balloon pump. Another uh, manufacturer is Teleflex Incorporated, and that's an American company that offers the Arrow Intraortic balloon pump. So what is the intraortic balloon pump? It is a mechanical device used to support the heart and circulatory system. It involves a long, thin catheter with a balloon at its tip, which is inserted into the aorta. The balloon inflates during diastole, when the heart is relaxed and fills with blood, and deflates at the, end of at the start of systole, sorry, when the heart contracts and pumps blood out. This inflation and deflation assist the heart by reducing its workload and increasing blood flow to the heart muscle itself. The timing of inflation and deflation is crucial and is controlled by a computerized system. However, early or late inflation and deflation can occur, which may impact the effectiveness of the balloon pump. There are several contraindications to um, using that balloon pump, which I'll go over later. But let's go on to why is the balloon pump used. Generally, it's used in situations where the heart needs temporary support to pump blood more effectively. These can include, but are not limited to, cardiogenic shock, which is a condition where the heart can't pump enough blood to meet the body's needs, often due to severe damage to the heart muscle, such as a heart attack. Acute MI, or heart attack, the balloon pump can be used in severe cases to improve coronary blood flow, reduce the heart's workload, and limit the size of the heart attack. Unstable angina, the balloon pump can be used to stabilize patients with severe, unpredictable chest pain that's not responsive to other treatments. Complications of cardiac surgery. Um, the balloon pump can be used during or after heart surgery to help support the heart, especially in patients who have difficulty coming off the cardiopulmonary bypass. 
or who have poor heart functions after surgery. Severe heart failure. In certain situations, balloon pump can be used to support patients with severe heart failure, often as a bridge to a more definitive therapy like heart transplantation or implantation of a long-term mechanical assist device like the LVAD. High-risk percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, the balloon pump can be used prophylactically in patients with severe coronary artery disease undergoing a PCI to provide hemodynamic support during the procedure. Cardiac contusion or trauma. In cases of severe injury to the heart from the traumatic event, an IABP or balloon pump might be used to temporarily assist the heart function and allow for recovery. Prophylactic use. In patients undergoing high-risk cardiac surgery, and a balloon pump may be placed prophylactically. This could also apply to uh, complex coronary or valve procedures. Cardiomyopathy. Particularly in acute decompensation of conditions like dilated cardiomyopathy, uh, a balloon pump might be used to provide support while more definitive treatment options are explored. Refractory ventricular arrhythmias. A balloon pump can provide circulatory support in cases where sustained ventricular arrhythmias are leading to hemodynamic instability. And the last thing is septic shock. Though not typically first line, in cases where standard treatment for septic shock is not enough to maintain adequate blood pressure and organ perfusion, a balloon pump might be considered. So uh, if you're new to this, uh, the decision to use a balloon pump is made by a team, including cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, critical care physicians, um, and it's all based on the individual patient's condition, uh, the potential of the benefits of device, and the risk associated with its use. All right. How does the balloon pump work? Well, the balloon pump works on the principles of the cardiac cycle, which consists of two main phases, systole, when the heart muscles contract and pump blood into the arteries, and diastole, when the heart muscles relax and the heart fills with blood. The inflation and deflation of the balloon are timed with these phases of the cardiac cycle to maximize the efficiency of the heart's function. Here is, is in detail. All right, so inflation. The balloon inflates during the ostole, which is the phase when the heart is in relaxation and is filling with blood. The inflation happens just after the aortic valve closes. The inflation of the balloon causes an increase in aortic pressure in the area surrounding the balloon. This has two main benefits. The first one, it increases the blood flow to the coronary arteries, which supply the heart muscle with blood. This means that the heart itself gets more oxygen and nutrients. The second is that it reduces the workload of the heart by reducing the afterload. The afterload is the resistance the heart must overcome to open the aortic valve and push the blood into the aorta. 
When the balloon inflates, it pushes blood both backward and forward in the aorta, which helps the blood to circulate more easily. So that's inflation. Deflation. The balloon deflates at the start of systole, which is when the heart contracts and pumps blood out into the arteries. The deflation of the balloon causes a drop in aortic pressure. This has two benefits. The first one is it reduces the resistance to the blood being ejected from the left ventricle, allowing it to pump more effectively. And the second is it creates a kind of vacuum effect, pulling more blood into the heart's chambers and enhancing the filling of the heart during the next diastole. Timing, the timing of the inflation and deflation is critical and it's managed by the computerized components of the system that takes signals from the ECG or the electrocardiogram and a pressure transducer. This synchronization is key to the success of the balloon therapy. Okay. So in summary, um, the balloon pump inflation and deflation assist the heart by decreasing the work it has to do and increasing the blood flow to the heart muscle itself. It is life-saving therapy for people with certain types of uh, cardiac conditions like heart failure or MIs. Um, it comes with risk and it has to be carefully managed as we all know all right timing why is timing important the timing of inflation and deflation of an intraortic balloon pump or iabp or balloon pump is critical for its effectiveness ideally the balloon should inflate just as the heart finishes contracting at the end of systole and deflate just before the heart starts to contract again at the beginning of systole. This maximizes, maximizes the beneficial effects on blood flow and reduces the workload of the heart. You might hear me say that so many times. Forgive me, but that's what it does. Um, however, in some circumstances, the timing may be off resulting in what is known as early or late inflation and deflation. Here's what that means. Early inflation. If the balloon inflates too early, it may inflate while the heart is still in the process of ejecting blood during systole. This can cause a significant increase in afterload or the resistance the heart has to overcome the pump, to pump blood which can add to the heart's workload instead of reducing it. Late inflation, if the balloon inflates too late, it may miss the opportunity to increase coronary perfusion during diastole. This means that the heart muscle itself may not receive the full benefits of the increased blood flow that the balloon pump is designed to provide. Early deflation. If the balloon deflates too early, it can diminish the beneficial vacuum effect that assists in the filling of the left ventricle during diastole. 
This can lead to a lower stroke volume in the next cardiac cycle, reducing the effectiveness of the therapy. Late deflation. If the balloon deflates too late, it may still be inflated when the heart begins to contract for systole. This increases afterload, making the heart work harder to eject blood. And it negates one of the main benefits of the balloon pump. So it's very, very important for us to make sure that the timing is, is correct. Okay. What are the contraindications of the balloon pump? The use of the balloon pump has several contraindications, which are conditions or factors that serve as a reason to withhold certain medical treatment due to the harm that it may cause the patient. Um, here are some of those contraindications. Aortic insufficiency. This is a condition where the aortic valve in the heart does not close tightly enough, allowing some blood that was pumped out of the heart to leak back into it. A balloon pump can worsen this condition as it can increase the amount of regurgitated blood. Aortic dissection. This is a serious condition in which the inner layer of the aorta tears. Blood surges through the tear, causing an inner middle inner and middle layers of the order to separate or dissect. A balloon pump used in these patients could extend the dissection. Severe peripheral vascular disease or PVD. The presence of a significant disease in the peripheral arteries can make the insertion of the balloon pump catheter difficult or even impossible. And there is a risk for causing more harm to the already diseased vessels. Uncontrolled sepsis or infection. Active systemic infection or sepsis is a contraindication due to the risk of spreading the infection or exacerbate, exacerbating the patient's condition, making it worse. Um, and then the fifth reason is recent or significant aortic or abdominal surgery. Recent or significant aortic or abdominal surgery may be a contraindication due to increased risk of complications. All right, what are the possible complications when you're using the balloon pump or IABP? Well, the balloon pump can be life-saving but like many other medical interventions, it comes with potential risk and complications. Here are some of the key complications associated with the balloon pump use. Vascular complications. These can include limb ischemia, insufficient blood flow to the limbs, aortic dissection, and a tear in the wall of the aorta, a hematoma or bleeding at the catheter insertion site. So you want to make sure you check your left brachial pulse because if, it, if the balloon pump is not in the particular position or the correct position, it can occlude the, um, the, the veins off of the aorta or the arteries, I should say, off of the aorta and cause ischemia either to your brain or to your arm. Um... Okay, so thromboembolism is another one. There's a risk of a blood clot 
formation thrombosis due to the presence of the balloon catheter. These clots can potentially break off and cause embolisms, which can block blood flow in other parts of the body, leading to a stroke or limit ischemia. Infection. Any invasive procedure comes with a risk of infection. Infections can occur at the catheter insertion site or, in rare cases, can be systemic. Balloon malfunction. The balloon can rupture or fail to inflate or deflate properly, which can lead to reduction in the device's effectiveness or additional complications. Reperfusion injury. This can occur if blood flow is restored too rapidly to an area that was previously ischemic. And hemolysis. Mechanical damage to red blood cells can occur, leading to hemolysis or breakdown of the red blood cells. Impaired renal function. The use of a balloon pump can occasionally lead to worsening renal function, particularly in patients who already have some kind of um, kidney impairment or kidney disease. All right. How do the heart rate and the blood pressure affect the balloon pump? Um, heart rate. The balloon pump's inflation and deflation timing is synchronized with the patient's cardiac cycle. Therefore, alterations in the heart rate can potentially impact the synchronization. In conditions of tachycardia, it might become challenging to correctly time the balloon's inflation and deflation with the cardiac cycle, thereby reducing the effectiveness of the balloon pump. In contrast, bradycardia might limit the overall impact of the balloon pump simply because there are fewer cardiac cycles per minute for the device to assist with. So in that case, um, sometimes you may have a patient that has atrial fibrillation. That's going to be very hard for the balloon pump to keep up with that cycle. So in that case, you may have to use the pressure trigger instead of the um, ECD, ECG trigger. And the best thing to do is to correct the, the rhythm issue. So if they have to have um, a pacemaker in for bradycardia or um, have to have a chemical uh, conversion of the AFib or the fast heart rate, then that's some of the things that can fix that. Blood pressure. The balloon pump aims to improve blood pressure by augmenting coronary blood flow or increasing the blood supply to the heart muscle and reducing the afterload. That's the resistance the heart needs to overcome to pump blood. If the patient's blood pressure is very low or if they're hypotensive, the balloon pump can be a critical support tool. However, if the patient's blood pressure is very high or or they're hypertensive, the effectiveness of the balloon pump might be less noticeable. And controlling hypertension would typically be an important part of, be, of the patient's management. Also, uncontrolled hypertension might increase the risk of complications such as aortic dissection, like we spoke about earlier. All right. So usually you have parameters for the blood pressure when you have a balloon pump. About those waveforms, the balloon pump waveforms. 
When you're observing the waveforms associated with the use of the, uh, the balloon pump, there are several key points on the waveform that provide insight into the timing and efficacy of the pump. The three major components of the balloon pump waveform correspond to different phases of the cardiac cycle. So the first one is the inflation point. This is the point at which the balloon begins to inflate. Ideally, it occurs immediately following the, the dichrotic notch on the arterial pressure waveform, which indicates the closure of the aortic valve and the beginning of diastole. Correct timing of inflation is crucial as it's intended to increase diastolic pressure and thereby enhance coronary blood flow. The peak inflation, that's the second part. This represents the point of maximum balloon inflation which should occur during mid to late diastole. And then you have the deflation point. This is the point at which the balloon begins to deflate. Ideally, deflation should occur just before the upstroke of the next systolic pressure wave, before the heart begins to contract for the next beat. This creates a brief period of decreased aortic pressure, reducing the workload on the heart as it begins to pump again. So essentially reducing um, afterload. Abnormal waveforms. Abnormal balloon pump waveforms often indicate issues with the timing of inflation or deflation of the intraortic balloon pump. Here are some of the ones that may be observed. Number one, early inflation. If the balloon begins to inflate before the closure of the aortic valve, that's before the dichrotic notch on the arterial waveform. It's called early inflation. This increases the resistance the heart must pump against, known as afterload, potentially adding strain to the heart. Number two, late inflation. When the balloon inflates too late in, the, in diastole, it can miss the optimal timing for augmenting coronary blood flow. This usually means the balloon is not inflating immediately after the dichrotic notch. Number three, early deflation. This occurs when the balloon deflates before the end of diastole, often seen as a drop in the diastolic pressure on the waveform. Early deflation can decrease the effectiveness of the therapy as it reduces the period of reduced afterload that the balloon pump is meant to provide. Number four, late deflation. If the balloon is still inflated when the heart begins to begins its contraction or when it's in systole, it's known as late deflation. This can increase afterload, making the heart work harder, which is counterproductive to the goals of the balloon therapy. Right, we're supposed to be uh, decreasing afterload. And um, number five, balloon malfunction. A lack of clear inflation or deflation points or an absence of the characteristic augmented di diastolic pressure 
may indicate a problem with the balloon itself, such as a leak or a rupture. So like um, everything else, we need to be, uh, you know, closely observing these waveforms um, all the time, uh, making sure your alarms are set, um, you know, so that you will be aware if you're not looking at the screen that something is going on. Follow your um, institution's protocol and procedures for um, alarms and the balloon pump. Um, troubleshooting the balloon pump. Um, it, this requires knowledge of how the device functions, a systematic approach, and a careful attention to patient safety. Patient safety. But um, here are some common issues that you may come across. Uh, gas leak. If a gas leak is suspected, that is a loss of the augmented diastolic pressure. Alarms indicating a gas leak. First, check the system for obvious leaks and like and loose connections. If all connections are secure, it may be a balloon leak. In this case, the balloon will need to be replaced. Uh, the other one is the balloon line block. If the balloon line is blocked, check for kinks or sharp bends in the tubing. Also look at the catheter itself to make sure it hasn't been inadvertently clamped or obstructed. If there's no obvious obstruction, the balloon catheter might need to be replaced. You might see um, no ECD trigger. The balloon pump should be synchronized with the patient's heart rhythm, typically using an ECG signal. If it's not triggering off the ECG, check the lead connections and the quality of the ECG signal. You might need to adjust the lead or, or use a different lead if the signal is poor, or you may even need to change the, the, the electrodes or the, the electrodes or the leads on the patient. Um, and if that problem persists, you may need to use an alternative trigger, such as the arterial pressure waveform trigger. Um, incorrect timing. If the timing of the inflation and deflation is off early or late, this is usually can be adjusted on the um, balloon pump console. Keep in mind that optimal timing is when the balloon inflates right after the cardiac notch, indicating closure of the aortic valve and deflates just before the onset of the next systole. Um, in any case, if troubleshooting doesn't quickly resolve your issues, it's essential for you to get help from a more experienced colleague um, in the CCU or ICU, their attending physicians, um, in the environment that I am familiar with, um, their uh, um, cardiovascular technicians that know how to operate this if you need you know, more assistance. Sometimes we, when we can't troubleshoot or fix the problem, we have to um, change the console sometimes. Sometimes it's the console itself. Um, the other thing is you uh, want to make sure that I think you do a x-ray. So make sure the balloon is positioned every day in the correct place. Um, and labs too. All right, so 
when you cannot resolve these issues, reach out to other people fairly quickly. Don't delay. If you delay, you might harm the patient. Um, So don't be afraid of reaching out immediately. Um, It's uh, essential for you to do that. Um, And it's uh, always uh, patient safety should be always a top priority. Um, So with this malfunction, you might see some changes in the patient's hemodynamics, such as uh, hypotension. Um, and you may need to provide alternative support. Sometimes you may have to chemically, you know, stimulate the heart to pump. You may have to put them on dibutamine or epi or something like that. But all of this is done in collaboration with the attending physician or the ICU physician um, that is present. What if the balloon pump stops working? Well, that's not a good thing. If the ABP stops suddenly working, prompt action is needed to ensure the patient's safety. First thing you need to do is assess the patient. The patient's safety is always the priority. Check the vital signs, including the heart rate, the blood pressure, the oxygen saturation, the patient's level of consciousness, and also look for any other signs of distress. The second thing you need to do is verify the problem. Confirm that the IABP is actually stopped working. Check the console for any alarms or messages. Is there a power issue? Is there a problem with the triggering or the timing? Troubleshoot. If possible, try to quickly identify the issue and resolve it. For example, if there is a power issue, check the power source and cords. If it's a triggering problem, you may be able to adjust the settings or change the trigger source. But remember, patient assessment should still be ongoing. Call for help. Contact your attending, your hospital's biomedical engineering. You might need to get your resources or the people around you to help you with this because you cannot leave that patient to go call for help. Or the um, device manufacturer. If you have support like um, the, the cardiovascular technicians or CV techs, as you call them, um, they may be able to switch that console out for you very quickly. So call for help. Provide alternate support, uh, like we discussed before. If the balloon pump can't quickly be fixed, be prepared to provide alternative forms of hemodynamic support. This may include pharmacological interventions like vasopressors or inotropes, or potentially escalating to a different kind of mechanical support. Well, we hope we don't go that way, but if we have to, sometimes you have to put them back on bypass or ECMO. The specifics will depend on the patient's condition and what other resources are available. Prepare for balloon removal. If the balloon can't be restarted and a replacement is not immediately available, you may need to remove the existing balloon. But remember, this removal of the balloon should only be done by a a qualified clinician, like your ICU um, attending. Usually in a controlled environment, like, uh, I guess if you have interventional lab, if it's the patients in the ICU, uh, it's unsafe for them to move. So you will not move them to a lab to remove it or an operating room. It will have to be done in the ICU. Okay. Remember, while this is all going on, your patient may be awake and aware of what is happening. Remain calm and remain focused 
Um, just ensuring the patient is, is stable and safe while you're trying to address the problem with the balloon pump. Um, sometimes you may have to manually operate the balloon pump. Um, it involves adjusting the timing of the balloon inflation deflation in response to the patient's rhythm. This is typically required when there's a problem with the automatic trigger and timing of the device. Not all models have a, ma a manual mode, but whatever your, um, your institution has, um, make sure you're just aware of what needs to be done. Sometimes um, when the balloon stops, you can have a, um, depend, I guess on the model that you're working with, um, institutions have procedures where you would need to have like a uh, a 60cc um, lure syringe at the bedside just in case you have to um, manually inflate and deflate um, the balloon until um, you get it either the console switched out um, if it's not working. Uh, the balloon pump should never be on pause for more than 30 minutes because it will cause a clotting to build up. And of course, that'll be a very high risk of stroke or ischemia to limbs. So um, make sure you know what your protocol is for when the blood, um, the balloon pump stops in your institution. If the balloon ruptures, it's a critical situation that requires immediate attention to ensure patient safety. Here are the steps that you should take. Assess the patient, check the vital signs and overall status, look for signs of distress, changing consciousness, or other symptoms that may indicate acute change in their condition. Verify the problem as always. Confirm that the balloon has indeed ruptured. Typically, the balloon console will show alarms for high residual volume or low augmentation suggesting a rupture. You may also see a sudden loss of diastolic augmentation on the arterial pressure waveform. The next thing you do is you stop the balloon pump. If the rupture is confirmed, stop the balloon pump immediately to prevent further helium leakage. The method of stopping the balloon pump will depend on the specific model of the machine, but it usually involves pressing a stop or standby button on the console. I think most of the um, maquettes have a standby button on there um, that you usually use when you're, you're assessing for like your heart sounds. Because it's difficult to assess for heart sounds with a balloon pump going. Um, if the patient is stable, you may have to pause it for 30 seconds and just listen to the heart sound. Um, but they usually have a standby button on there. And then the third thing you do if this balloon ruptures is you call for help. Call your attendings, call anybody around you and let them know what's going on. Your cardiology team, your vascular surgery team, whatever the protocol is for your hospital. But usually the attending or whoever the providers are on the unit. And then you need to prepare for the balloon removal. Uh, typically, um, the ruptured balloon would need to be removed which is done with a, by a qualified healthcare provider. Um, and then you need to provo provide alternate support. So if the patient is hemodynamically unstable after stopping the balloon pump, 
be prepared to provide alternate forms of support. This could include pharmacological interventions like vasopressors and anotropes, or potentially escalating to another form of mechanical circulatory support. Remember, in any situation with the balloon pump, the patient's safety is the top priority. While addressing the problem with the device, be sure to monitor the patient closely and be ready to provide alternate forms of support. All right, helium leak into the patient. A helium leak from an intraortic balloon pump into the patient's circulation is a serious complication. Although it's infrequent due to safety features built into the modern devices, helium is a gas that doesn't dissolve easily in blood. If it enters the circulation, it can form bubbles that act like emboli, potentially blocking blood flow in small vessels. Depending on where these emboli travel, they could cause a range of problems. Number one, the brain. If bubbles reach the brain, they could cause symptoms similar to a stroke, including weakness, difficulty speaking, or altered consciousness. Number two, heart. If they enter the coronary arteries, they could cause myocardial ischemia or infarction, leading to chest pain or arrhythmias. Number three, lungs. If a large volume of helium enters the pulmonary circulation, it could cause a gas embolism in the lungs, leading to acute respiratory distress. And number four, kidneys or other organs. Similarly, helium bubbles could block blood flow to the kidneys or other organs leading to acute organ injury. If a helium leak is suspected, the balloon pump should be stopped immediately and the balloon removed. The patient would need to be closely monitored and potentially treated for the complications associated with gas embolism. In some cases, hyperbaric oxygen therapy may be used to help reduce the size of the gas bubbles and limit the damage. Again, important to stress that such complications are rare due to the safety mechanisms in place in the balloon pump devices. In general, the balloon therapy is considered safe and effective when used in appropriate patients with careful monitoring. So, um, this is the end of my talk about the balloon pump. We just have to make sure that um, the patient is safe. We also have to monitor, 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 listen and respond to, to alarms, um, monitor lab work, the CBC, platelet count, um, check your pulses, um, distal to the, the balloon insertion site, and, and the left Brachial pulse is usually the one that you look for um, and report any kind of abnormalities very quickly so that um, interventions can be um, prompt. I, there is a article about the bloom pump with some photographs on, on the blog. And the blog is CherylPalmer.com forward slash blog if you want to learn more about this. Um, I have a book uh, 
that I reference a lot called hemodynamic ma monitoring. It's part of the Made Incredibly Visual um, series. It's very easy to, to understand. And the AACN um, Critical Care um, book also is very good with that. And you can feel free to reach out to me. And just go to my website. It's CherylPalmer.com. See you on the next cast.